This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. On today's episode, we visit with two seriously radical urban beekeepers who take on bee removals throughout Los Angeles. They're intuitive, thoughtful, and show us that teamwork makes the dream work. They work strictly with feral bees and have some unique insights on the subtleties of honeybee behaviors. Meet Marvin Jordana and Jen Powers. Well, it was uh, it was this tree. Hot, it was actually an Albox. You know the stories with Alboxes. Yeah. So it was in Glendale, and we I got a referral from my friend, and then we went to check it out, and it was this old, I think it was an oak, and I was able to climb the tree, you know, just using uh my hands and feet, but we decided to use a ladder because that. Albox was so heavy. I don't know how heavy was that that Albox. We had to like I don't know how heavy you think that was. I don't I don't know, but Alboxes are pretty large, and it was completely full of feet. So I yeah. would say probably like 40, 50 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And they put those pretty high up, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. It was at least twenty feet high. <sighs> I don't know if that's high. It's high Marvin, you climbed 20 feet up in the tree without a ladder and you were going to, were you going to strap this thing to your back and then climb down? <laughs> no, we decided we were going to ratchet it and, you know, just like remove all the screws in it. And then we ended up like Jen went up the ladder first and I went right up behind her. And I think my friend Courtney took the picture but it wasn't intended, like that picture was not intended to be taken. It was just like, oh. oh, my friend Courtney, she's a photographer. She was the one who referred us. And she just took that picture, which was like hilarious afterwards when we saw it. Like we didn't mean for that picture to happen, which is great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Sometimes that makes it like even better because you're caught unawares, just doing your thing. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Always- photos afterwards and you know remembering back how intense it was and how in the moment we were and mm-hmm. then just like laugh photos are so funny you know <laughs> so what ended up happening with the bees in the box do you take the whole box with you or did you have to remove them no we took the whole owl box down and then uh we took a picture next to it i remember and then we needed to cover up the entrance because it was the, just a large whole entrance in the owl box and all we had was like a piece of cardboard. So we taped the piece of cardboard to cover the entrance and we were gonna go back to the bees at night. So we had to cut a little hole for them to just go in and out at first. Oh, yeah. And then we ended up drawing like two eyes and nose and a mouth and the bees were bearding on the entrance. So it was like a beard <laughs> of bees. So we were just having fun that day. I love it. Well, you two <laughs> seem like such a wonderful team. We are. We get along really hard. We. I don't think we've ever argued, other than that one time where Jen was climbing a ladder, which was about forty feet tall, and then she didn't want to wear a harness, and I was like oh. adamant on wearing a harness. But and then I told her about it after. I was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, you're pretty proud of me that day. <laughs> Okay, but well, let's let's go back to the beginning so we can we can share your origin stories. What I really want to foster is that beekeeping is not something you just do by yourself. Um, people need to find somebody that they can do it with, and it actually makes for a much more enriching experience when you have somebody that you trust and you enjoy, you know, working with the bees with. Yes. Yes. Um, I'll start and Jen can follow where I, I, I leave. Okay. So I've been beekeeping for almost uh, 10 years now, like so about a decade. And when I started beekeeping, beekeeping was illegal in Los Angeles. And I started um, learning from Kirk Anderson, who was with back 
backward beekeepers, right, in, in Los Angeles. And then we just used to have meetings and I was like, oh, bees, bees are in danger. You know, this was around a time of like colony collapse. It was still very prevalent in, in, in the world. And I was like, you know, maybe I could start beekeeping and see how that turned out. And it took me a long time. So that first year of beekeeping was just like horrific for me. It was just like scared making so many mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then the second year was like, man, you know, do I really want to do this? This is so hard. This is so hard, you know? Was it and hard then, uh, uh, because of the, because you're in, you're in the Scutaleta zone. You're working yes. with Scutaleta honeybees, which if our listeners aren't familiar with that term, these are Africanized honeybees. Yeah, we, we like to say equatorial. Equatorial. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Equatorial or... scoots. <laughs> yeah. And we're trying to like shift the culture, uh, moving away from calling them Africanized. Um, yeah. 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 So like my very first bee capture was in Mount Washington and this gardener had told me that he rescued some bees from a house and he didn't have any gloves, didn't have any, any suit on. So I was like, how did you just rescue them he said I just took them with my bare hands and I saw his hands gardener hands are like calloused and like really rough so I don't think he even got stung and then I asked him did you use a veil he's like no I just used a paper bag put it over my head put two holes in it right <laughs> and then put it on this box and like like pancaked on top of each other and I was like how long ago did you do this and it was like you know a few months ago and if you want to know where they are, I'll take you where they are. So we drove up this road on Mount Washington. You know, it goes up onto this mountain and he points to the spot on the hill and he says, the bees are over there. I'm like, where? And then he points even more. And so I see the bees flight pattern coming in. And then I was like, oh, I see the bees. And he was like, bye, see you later. And then I went to check out these bees. And at that time, I was so green. I was so new. But these bees were some of the meanest bees I've ever encountered. Because not only were they on the ground, they were pancaked. Their comb was pancaked. Like, and it was all dark. And they were surviving it. They were surviving in a box of pancake, dark, dark. It was the ugliest comb to this day I've ever seen. So, like, for our listeners, when you're gesturing, like, that the comb was actually horizontally, like, structured rather than vertical. Yes. Wow. Yes. And they were living in this and they made do and like they were surviving, being on the ground, being attacked or sniffed at by several animals at night because you're up there in Mount Washington, you got like all kinds of critters, raccoons, skunks, coyotes. And so I went and checked them out. And sure enough, I was already starting to get pinged, followed. So I had to come up with a game plan of how to get them out of that hill. And I couldn't figure out a way to get him in my car. And this is what my mom suggested. She was like, why don't you just use a blanket and wrap them like uh, like, like the gift, you know? I was like, swaddle. oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And we're still using blankets to this day on, on our removals just to prevent yeah. bees from exiting the car, you know? Oh, that's smart. Exiting while, while we're driving. So I got that. It was on a full moon. And... Uh, I was with my ex-girlfriend back then, and we waited until dark, which was crazy, wrapped up the blanket, tied it all up, walked it down the hill and to my car, into my Jeep, and I swear, that box weighed maybe about 65 pounds. It was heavy, like maybe 50 to 65 pounds. Drove home, and I didn't even know how to do this cutout. Like, I had to call Kirk and... You know, the bees were so traumatized when we were pulling everything apart that they left and swarmed underneath the table where we were doing the job. Oh, wow. And the next day we came, we're like, where are all the bees? This is weird. And sure enough, we called uh, our mentor and he looked under the table and there they were. They were swarmed underneath there. And then he put the box where we did the cutout right under the table and he just slammed it down with his hand and they went in back into the box. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. This guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so like about a year of dealing with Scutellata, which I didn't know any better. I thought that's that's how bees are like, you know, and I, every day I would just sit 
next to them without a suit on. But when I would inspect them, I, of course, I would put a suit on. They would never bother me mm-hmm. when I didn't have a suit on. And so I got I got good really fast, just learning bee behavior that way from, from working with scoots for about since forever for a mm-hmm. long time so I, I can i can see them posturing up the way they fly the way they move around people the way they bluff you you know bb behavior so as my yard started to grow and back then you know i thought wow i have three beehives in my yard this is too big this is too many bees so like i was like what am i gonna do now i have like ridiculous but i was like i need to have these bees adopted by somebody in the neighborhood. And so I put out a Facebook post and people were like, I'm interested, I'm interested. And I'm like, these bees have to go to a good home. And was beekeeping at the time still illegal? Were you still like operating kind of- uh, Yeah, oh. under the radar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> under the radar, but um, I wanted to know somebody in the neighborhood that was gonna take care of them and we're gonna be able to provide them. And, Cause people say, oh, I wanna be a beekeeper, but man, that, that's very rare to really want to last a long time. Mm-hmm. So Jen, Jen posted something saying like, I, I'm interested. And then, you know, like I went to visit her garden and man, she is just like, dude, you're like a homesteader. <laughs> and I saw all the plants and the chickens and the dog and like, this is perfect. And And she lives like, you know, like a mile from me. So it worked out really well. And then that night, I, I delivered a, a box of bees, and uh, like when I opened the entrance, it popped like the sound of champagne popping, <laughs> like pop. And Jen had this like beautiful like uh, wreath to block the entrance. It was like a perfect celebration kind of thing. I'll, I'll never forget it. And then you can go, Jen, and tell tell the rest of the story. Yeah, I, I guess I mean my start is not as epic as yours. But yeah, <laughs> I had bees delivered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it was just an amazing moment. I think I really I wanted to get into these because aren't they like the next level once you already have a like, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So um yeah, that's kind of how I got started. Um Marvin mentored me like what two months? Yeah, like like two months. That was yeah, it. <laughs> um but I had that high for, a, I named it. It was like, you know, I visited it every day. I could see it from my office window. Um, you know, just that like epic beginning of beekeeping for someone who's just fascinated by bees. And um, I ended up going through a complete loss before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I went out one day and there was just piles of bees on the ground. And this is probably like, oh. Seven or I, yeah, seven or eight months after I had them, and um, figured out like figured out that you know by googling and all that that they had been poisoned. Mm-hmm. I had to go through that whole traumatic you know loss of my first hive within my first year, and it was like super disheartening. And oh, and when it's a know, poisoning, it's like where did it come from? Like you're looking at like oh, every God, every like, location around you, like. Where where is it? Yeah, which neighbor was it? And I'm posting stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. please don't spray your your flowering plants, and you know that whole shabu on 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 the neighborhood group, and um, yeah, so that was super detrimental to me. But I didn't want to give up. Like I I was just so infatuated. It was just love at first, you know, sight, and so I immediately set swarm traps. I've got to keep doing this so I set swarm traps on my chicken coop and a couple other places in my yard and I ended up catching uh, a couple swarms um, I kept my backyard and my son that's about the time that my kids started helping I had purchased a suit for my son and um, he would help me bring them down and do inspections and one of those two swarms that I ended up catching the following year was uh, were scoops. And I was like, you know, at first, you know, I'm learning. I'm super new. This is like still within my first year of beekeeping. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, they're building up really fast. Like they are just building comb. I'm adding boxes. You know, they're just super healthy. I'm super impressed by them where the other hive is a little bit 
you know, more mellow, slow builders. Nobody's like showing me any defensive behavior that's, you know, excessive to bees. But, but you could tell right away there was something a little bit different. Definitely different, you know, and that's when I started learning that all hives are not created equal. There's there's mm-hmm. variants genetics with these feral bees that we have here and um so like later that year i think it was around august i went out to do an inspection you know lots of smoke i always use smoke full suit and uh i opened the top cover and bam it just exploded it was like Thank goodness I was there by myself. I feel terrible for my dog, though. Oh. She's a little black cattle dog. We just got attacked. Like, it was insane. hundred bees swirling around my head nonstop, stinging my dog like crazy. Oh. I was like, oh, my God, you know, like panicking. Because I, I live in Los Angeles. There's neighbors, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up closing up the hive and you know, like going on Michael Bush's website and getting tips on working with, you know, Africanized hives. And um, I ended up getting through it. But I think that was about the time where I was like, I can't do this by myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is something I think in beekeeping that maybe is hard. Well, in life in general, it can be really hard to admit. But like in beekeeping, once you're in over your head, like you're in deep (laughs) especially if you're new if you're just starting out yeah uh, and when you've got hives I mean even now if I get into a hive that's uh more defensive it rattles me yeah yeah they kind of knock you on your butt and you have that moment of contemplation where you're like do I really want to do this? Like, is this what I really want to be doing? You know, and you start doubting yourself or you start questioning your methods, you yeah, know, like, yeah. did, I smoke? did I move too fast? Did I smush a bee? Um, and I yeah, think like what Marvin was saying when he's talking about the different, you know, not readily visible to a new beekeeper, but those subtle behavior cues that they're yeah. displaying that tells you what you need to know. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, when they start out small as a swarm, their behavior is different as opposed to when they're, you know, much larger. They've doubled in size. The behavior changes despite being the same genetic. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was something that I had to deal with. Um, I still had not got back in touch with Marvin, I don't think, at that time. Um, no, no, I wish you would have. I wish you would have because <laughs> I was dealing with scoots. And I thought that was normal. I literally thought that was like, oh, oh this wow. is, I didn't, I have not met any nice bee for fourth year, almost beekeeping. I was just dealing with scoots and always like in, in, in that mode where like, holy crap, do I really want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> and I just kept pushing through it. I just kept doing it. And I think that colony that you had first given me that, that rescue or swarm or whatever, I got lucky. They, they were nice. No, I knew they were nice. That's why I gave them to you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like, you know, welcome to beekeeping. And then boom, here is beekeeping, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, um, I just kept going and learning. You know, my mentors were Honey Love. I went to a few Honey Love classes. Oh, yeah. Susan Rudiki was around, you know, God bless her, but she was great. And um, just a lot of reading, uh, a lot of books, a lot of different books and, you know, web sources. Well, that's where I met Marvin. I met Marvin at the Honey Love conference last year. Yeah. I was there too. Oh, I don't think we met. I think we, I don't know. I was working at the front and I was checking people in. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, I kept, I kept going and, you know, my love for it just grew and I kept learning more and more. And then I started getting, you know, my, my friends knew that I kept these. So I started getting phone calls, phone calls for swarm, phone calls for removal, 
And the removals I didn't do at first, but the swarms I would go and pick up for mm-hmm. free, like at my friend's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and my apiary started growing. And then I got a call from this guy who was just super nice, super sweet, really close. Just please, you know, come rescue these bees. Um, <clears throat> he had a construction crew in his backyard that was removing a cottage that had collapsed, like a little like cottage in the back of his yard. And the big burly construction workers went running <sighs> uh, because there was a hive in there. <laughs> and they wouldn't come back and finish the job. And he had the city on his back because there was a tree that was had fallen on it. Oh, wow. A huge uh, eucalyptus tree. And so um, I went over to, over there and it was like really low to the ground, only like four feet at this point, the whole thing was smashed. Um, but the bees were living like under the roof structure, which was like a tin roof, it was like a 1920s cottage. And it was the high, like looking back, I, I don't know where I got the courage to do this removal because it was huge, like <laughs> huge, like a five, $600 removal. Wow. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, I can I can do this removal for you. No problem. Um, but, you know, I need some place to keep the bees because I had no more room in my backyard. And um, so he agreed to let me keep the bees there. And I ended up spending about five hours <laughs> removing comb, wow. cutting out comb by myself, like completely. Slow. Like like you're yeah. not just going in there and hacking at this stuff. It has to be done so carefully. Yeah, I would say I was a little hacky at the time. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> my 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 role models were YouTube videos, so um, yeah. I haven't de- hadn't developed my style yet. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had read enough to know how to do it, and I ended up getting through it and getting him into a deep and leaving the deep like really close by. I didn't know if I had the queen. I didn't even have most of the bees in there. You know, I really, I, I wasn't that experienced. It was like only a year and a half or so into beekeeping. Um, and I came back that night and I had a, a dolly. I had to use a dolly to move them across the yard and put them on some cinder blocks. And I ended up keeping those bees there for like a year or two. Wow. Um, yeah, <sighs> it was really awesome. So, but I think uh, I did a few more swarm calls after that and a couple removals. And I, and then at that point I was like, I cannot do this by myself. Like it's just, it was getting more dangerous with the height and the location mm-hmm. and the intensity. And so at that point, I think is when I reached out to Marvin, it was probably my second year back to Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had no, like, I remember when she asked me, do this removal our first removal was uh this garage in the neighborhood the bees have been there for you know years and i was like removals i really want to do removals 20 years yeah something like 20 years and i was thinking to myself removals i want to do removals is this this is hard you know this removals are not easy like Mm -hmm. i never even thought of doing removals but i was like yeah sure it's in the neighborhood and we went to do the removal that day and classic removal birthday party next door kids oh. like laughing and just like you know we're busting we're busting the the freaking drywall and oh there's party gosh. music like a kids legitimate kids party yeah next, you right. know it was awesome and, we, and the lady we were doing the removal for Brianna uh, who I know now because I can go to the same um, her kids, she was at the party, like, but she didn't, she told us there was, a she didn't say anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> you were just like, oh my God. But, uh, it was great. Yeah. One of the dads got stung on the cheek yeah. and we we're like, oh, that's a great spot to get stung. That's not really going to swell up that much. <laughs> and I'm so glad it was one of the dads. I'm so glad it wasn't a kid or a mom. Oh, but it yeah. was it's always like, you know, it's always that that kind of thing or, you know, you're beekeeping and somebody's running the lawnmower. You know, there's always something here like doing bees in urban in in the urban area. It, it's always in the back of your mind. It's there's something always going on like uh there's so many cool stories like uh 
that time that tree hive that like 200 year old tree fell in the middle of the street and just totally like you know luckily it wasn't a really busy street jen calls me in the morning hey i'm over here there's this fallen tree i don't think we're gonna get paid for this but do you want to <sighs> come and check it out i was like it was like nine o'clock in the morning I'm like <laughs> sure <laughs> giving back to our neighborhood mm-hmm. yeah and I was I was gonna say that if Jen hadn't like invited me to to do removals we have so many fun stories like that's another part of, of the, the beekeeping journey uh, it's like all the people that we've met the the, the stories of and, and you know like the amazing of uh, hives that you see like in it live like when people look at bees they think of a box but when we're moving when we're cutting through a wall and you see a hive that's like 10 feet tall or like you see it in a wall and it's just massive probably like five feet across or something this is a giant animal you know Mm -hmm. that you're dealing with I think it, it demonstrates just how adaptable they really are and even Marvin, when you were talking about the ones living with their um, with their horizontal comb positions, you know that's not what they would normally do. But they're there, and they're just they're making the most of it. Yeah, and plus they were scoots, so you have to you have to remember, like you know, scoots are incredibly durable. Like that is something that they have is durability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's amazing, but they're not all mean. They're not all mean. There's, some of them are just like it, everything in between. The behavior pattern that, that they display is so, I, you know, like sometimes you, when you see foragers coming or the guard bees, sometimes scoots will, I've seen, I've seen them like scan your body from head to toe. They just go up and down. And there's like maybe like, 30 of them just scanning your body head to toe and not all bees do that. And then some, some, some bees will like just be in this like mass of maybe 40 bees just humming. And and there's like a hum that they're, they're sending you. And it's not that high pitched hum. It's just like this very soothing hum and and they're engaging you, you know, they're like communicating and, and what, but no one, no one's attacking you. And then of course, there's the bees with a very high frequency, like the, and you know, it's like, it's on, they're mad. <laughs> and they don't. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about how um, bees adapt to, you know, living in situation. It reminded me of that. <clears throat> One of Kirk's old hives that we ended up. Um, oh my God. <laughs> where the boxes had a lot of rain that year. And the boxes were on a hillside, but the hillside had pushed out. The box literally It tumbled. Oh. It was so propolized that it stuck together. <gasps> <laughs> but it ended up stopping on a chain like fence. It, it was upside down. Upside down. They were living upside down. Upside a little bit. And I think one cover had come off. It was completely open on the bottom. Yeah. yeah bottom board was off. So they were completely exposed, home completely upside down and it was too too medium. <sighs> and they were still living in there like just you know, like, well, we're upside down now. <laughs> 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 I mean I've I've heard bees being like extremely sensitive to you know if you take their combs out and put them back in going, you know, the opposite direction of of how it was before. And there's something to do with the the shape of the hexagons and they have to be, ah, I'm trying to, how do I articulate? This beekeeper was telling me about it. She was saying like, you have to look for the peace sign in each hexagon. Um, like if it's fresh wax, then you can see through to the other side and it, it makes a little peace sign. And she was saying something like, if you take the frame out and put it back in facing the wrong way, that the bees get upset about that and like won't won't want to use it or something. But if they can be tumbled down the hill 
and then land upside down without a lid and survive. <laughs> that's just yeah, so incredible. But I mean, that's, that's also feral bees, and those were spooked. Yeah, I think we just work. They're just extremely resilient and strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we work with all ferals, and and you get the range of different behavior patterns. And uh, you know, working in a in a suburban area, like we've been so lucky, and also have gained so much experience because working with ferals is like, it's unpredictable. Mm -hmm. It's unpredictable. And, you know, luckily we have yards where we can put some of them that are a little bit, you know, that are a little spicy. And um, I've learned so much more from, from ferals than I have from human beekeepers. Yeah. 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 It really have to pay attention to their behavior. You know, you can't just, open up a hive, do your thing and be gone. It's, you know, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling good? You know, like mm-hmm. want a little smoke? You know, can I pull yeah. this frame today? Oh, you're not feeling it? Okay, I'll come back later. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and there's no, there's no like woo to communicating with your bees and reading their behavior. No, there's like, no woo. In there's no it's woo. not woo at all. I mean, that's, that's just respect. That's just it showing is. them respect. And I think that some... I've worked with some beekeepers here that they just, they don't take that moment to check no. their bees before they start opening things up and then they go in and then they're so rough with them. Just yeah, working I fast, mean, being I, rough and it's I, like, hmm. Yeah, I feel like they're keeping me, you know? Mm-hmm. I, they're mm-hmm. allowing me to interact with them as a wild creature and um, that's just priceless to me, you know, to be that close to something wild. It, <clears throat> you don't get to do that with, with many creatures here on this planet <clears throat> that are wild like that and that could sting you, like literally kill you, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. expecting that and understanding that, especially working ferals, is, is extremely important. I've been, um, you know, every time I meet a new hive, Every time uh, I'm, I'm saying hello to a hive, like when a dog comes up to you or even when a chicken comes up to you, you're like, hey, chicken, you know, like, hey, buddy, to a dog. And you're you're greeting it with this positive attitude, this positivity, this lightness of being. Yeah. Same thing when you approach a hive. You're not just like you can't even just touch a person, you know, even if they're your friend, they're just like, hey how's it going? You just tap them on the head, you know, or mm-hmm. like, you can't do that. So like, why, why wouldn't you do that with, with bees? So I, my approach is like, Hey guys, Hey ladies, how you doing? And then I put my hand if I can onto the box and I just like radiate some, you know, inner intention, whatever it may be, just like, just here to, you know, take a look at how everything's going. You know, I'm going to try not to squash anybody. Just these deep like feelings that come from uh the heart and and it's just so important for me to do that because you just never know like and i i don't know if that's woo if that's going to affect how they how they behave but it makes me feel better when i do it Mm -hmm. so if i'm Mm -hmm. feeling good they they must be sensing that because what Mm -hmm. i've learned is that i'm able to read them now even better like working with them all these years and through them like doing these uh, workshops I'm able to read people's behaviors too so like they're seeing us in slow motion right there's they're looking at us when they're looking at us we, we look like we're going in slow motion mm-hmm. right and so we try I try to go slow motion with them too I I think there's just so much that is you know like that we could cover on just be behavior alone <laughs> it's incredible oh, yeah yeah and I think like when you talk about understanding their behavior and just taking those moments to check in with them and like set your intentions that's so enriching and like that is a moment for not only growth and beekeeping but also personal growth and i i encourage our listeners if if you've never tried this with your bees just try it out 
you know, see what that feels like. See if it changes something for you when you're doing your hive inspections or just, you know, visiting your apiary. Yeah, or even just visiting a garden that's full of bees. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of feedback from folks saying that something that's different about Beekeeper Confidential is that it really captures like the heart and soul of beekeeping. And so like that's a, that's something that I really, really want to um, like explore even more. So having people yeah. like you on that, like you, you really embody that. Um, it's going to be great for our listeners. The, the reason why I stayed with beekeeping and it took me two and a half years to get like confident and thought, okay, I've made so many mistakes and, mm-hmm. and I learned from my mistakes. And to this day, I'm being challenged to this day, like, you know, almost 10 years in was one of the hardest seasons we've had. It was like, oh my God, it like. After the 10th year, you're like, how am I still doing this? This is so hard still. And it's Mm -hmm. even harder now, even with all that, like you think, you're like, did I do everything that I could do, do all this stuff? But it's nature. Nature throws hurricanes at you, floods, tornadoes, bees, you know, it's that part of the, the human experience that you, not every human being can get because we were domesticized. We're like domestic. A lot of people have been domesticized and like that wildness of this animal is just so incredible to be near and, and like pri- we're privileged that we're crazy enough to continue to do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about how <clears throat> we didn't realize it at first, but the bees already knew that this was going to be a dry year. And Marvin and I started recognizing that through the behavior before it was, you know, really in the news. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you were seeing? Uh, just more defensive behavior, more protective of their resources, mm-hmm. more of a scramble to gain resources. The Argentine ants um, um, were in the hives in the springtime, which is completely unusual. Usually that happens, you know, more in the summer or August. Yeah, midsummer, midsummer, like. So, and, and then we were talking about how, you know, the bees are connected to, they're not connected to, um, you know, like what we're connected to, to find out what the weather is going to be like. The bees are connected to, you know, nature and, you know, the weather systems and, <clears throat> they're not thinking in their heads, oh, well, you know, somebody's going to water their lawn today, so we'll have plenty of water. <laughs> they're going to water their garden, so we'll have plenty of nectar. Mm-hmm. They don't think like that. You know, like, if there's a drought for us, we flip on the AC and turn on the hose. For the bees, they're connected with the climate, and so, you know, they're thinking there's not going to be anything to mm-hmm. eat this year. Do you find that they will keep their colonies smaller when, We're seeing when it's a lot like of this. this year. Yeah. I yeah. last year I was just noticing that my colonies just stayed kind of small. They had a lot of swarms, but they also just didn't get really big like I've seen in the past. And I, I just kept thinking, like, well, I wonder if they have some sense of prediction that, you know, it is gonna be a dry year. Um, and it ended up being really dry. We had horrible fires. Um, and then the ones that, that overwintered, they're kind of doing that same thing this year where they're just staying small. And it's like, that's fine. I don't need giant colonies because I'm not trying to do honey production or anything. But I just feel like they, they, they understand or they have some sense of, of what, what it's going to be like. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, good too that you're you're not it doesn't make you anxious that they're staying small or you're not you know getting overly worried that they're staying small um I think a lot of beekeepers worry about stuff like that you know oh they're not growing or they're not they're not filling up the box that I just gave them you know what I mean it it doesn't really work that way yeah 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 absolutely I think for ventilation and food sources this year they're, they're staying small the swarms are smaller 
And then the other weird thing that we've been seeing this year is, is queen issues, like just dead queens on the ground, hmm. you know, in like swarm hovering over a dead queen. We've had about three or four of those this year. Wow. So strange. What do you think that is about? Don't know. Don't know. Um, Don't know. And like Marvin said, 10 years into beekeeping, I'm six. We're still learning. We're still figuring things out. Yeah. Like yeah. here, talk, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have this, but w when we find bees and rescues be rescue bees, this year we've had several tiny colonies. I mean, super tiny, like, uh, you know, like two fists big, you know, the size of your two fists together, literally like that, like you would think swarms would be a lot bigger and you know, the previous year swarms were a lot bigger, but this year, Oh my God, we're finding this like little cute, cute colonies that are just like, wow, what are you, you know, why, how are you surviving in such a small, like, like, you know, it could be like five wasp nests small, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a strange one. That's, that's, I haven't seen too many of that in my previous years, but this year we're seeing a lot of tiny ones. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you, Mandy, yes. have you ever noticed, so like, okay, there's like bee stuff that I, I've noticed that are not in the books. So like during an ant invasion, have you ever noticed bees leaving out larvae at the front of the entrance for the ants so that they don't come into the hive? No, but I will also say we don't have the same ant situation that you guys have. We do have yeah. the little itty bitty black ants that like to go in and live like up in the inner cover or on my um, hives that have windows. They like to build their nest in the windows. Um, yeah. But I'm going to be looking for that because um, that's a really interesting thing. So I've seen it several times. So like instead of like as if the bees are making uh, like some some kind of not offering, but like uh, a compromise with the ants. So mm -hmm. they'll leave out like three larvae out in the front. And it's not like dead dying bees. It's like fresh larvae. And they're like, here, please take this. And they'll put the larvae probably like two, three inches from the entrance. And the ants will honor that and and start taking that larva instead of going into the hive. And I've seen that several times. And it's just like, I know they're cousins. They must be talking. Yeah. You yeah. know, I don't know. That's pretty <laughs> cool. I love that idea that they're working together. Like, okay, we know you need some food. We'll give you this um, offering, but you have to stay out. Right. <laughs> and then here's another one. Have you seen this at the bottom of your bottom boards? So... They, the bees will make like these little tiny sculptures at, on the floor of the bottom board that all that have no purpose. You're like, okay, why would they make this sculpture? And they're not like hexagonal in shape. They have like these whole indentations. And as if it's like a sculpture they're making, like a playground, I have no idea. It's usually on older hives. Uh -huh. And there's no use for them. Like, they're, they're not putting anything in it other than shaping this. It all, Some of them almost look like cymatics. You Is know, look wax? at cymatics. Are they doing Pardon? it with wax or propolis? Both. Both. They're mixing it. And they're like little tiny, like, you know, pillars that are about, you know, a few centimeters tall. Hmm. And it's just something really interesting that I've been seeing, you know, throughout my years. And yeah. it's like, are they making art? <laughs> right. Are they making art? Are they making a uh, texture? Are they like, is there a larger purpose for it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, some, it, you know, like there's so many things that are not in the books that they're doing and like all the brace comb they, they put to like tie in the, the frames, right? Mm -hmm. All that brace comb. So when they vibrate, that brace comb is so important for that entire structure to feel everybody's vibrations you know because they're they're a sound being they're being made of sound mm -hmm. and that brace comb every time i i clean it off so i can lift the frame or something i get i'm like oh man i'm sorry like to destroy yeah. your structure your sound structure but i have to do it you know there's no ways about it but that brace comb is not just there to annoy humans it's there for them they're using it for sound purposes i think you know 
just a lot of stuff that you notice, you know, over the years. Yeah, and the tunnels that they make in their comb. Yes. Yeah. I was just wondering if you've seen anything through your, like, beekeeping or gen, like, what have you guys seen that's, like, not in the books? Well, I mean, I've I've seen just where they've uh, almost hoarded propolis, like, so that I'll have, like, these really large, like, chunks of propolis like like they're over they're they're over foraging for propolis and they're just storing it in one spot and like maybe they'll spread it out later you know that's cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i uh, i think it was this year was the first time that i saw bees eating a larva like within the hive and it was not an unhealthy hive that i could see it was very full healthy hive that they were eating some of the larva. Wow. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. that. Well, I've heard that they can, they would cannibalize their larva or the eggs, like if they're low on resources, but it doesn't sound like that was the case. No, and it was a full, like almost fully developed, you know, just, just before the cap. Yeah. 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 It was somewhat developed, right? Yeah, pretty cool. Um, and there's these videos that came out of Germany recently. I think I sent you those videos, Mandy. Oh, yeah. And Jen, you have those, right? They're super um, high definition and they're right in the hive. They show that, the, the, the larva being cannibalized. And it's it's crazy after all these years that they've just figured out how to um, vi- get that on video. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. All- I'm going to put a link to that. Yeah. If folks haven't had a chance to see that or if they haven't heard of it, I'll put a link to that um, on beekeeperconfidential.com so they can check it out. Because it really is like if you've ever thought about spying on your bees, this is it. (laughs) Like this is the ultimate. (laughs) Like. (laughs) And, and when they, like, the feeding behavior is that's in there, like, when they go in and you see them using their antenna, like, as if they were arms, it's almost like they're, they're, new, they're like, putting their head right up against the egg and then moving their antennas. And then they're kind of like, you know, when a human puts his face against the bait or their face against the baby's face and they go, boo, boo, baby, baby, you know, <laughs> like, you see that, a bee's doing that to, yeah. a, to an egg. Yeah, you know, at least that's what it looks like to me. I mean, she's. I wonder if what would happen if if it were possible to raise a larva into a pupa in a lab without the loving care that the nurse bees are giving it. You know, if there's a way to make it um, very clinical, you know, just put the food in there. Don't don't give the stroking with the antenna. Just put the food in there. Keep it fed, but that's it. Keep it warm enough, yeah. but that's it. But not give it um, the tender care. And I've heard, you know, if you hatch eggs in, a, you know, like a chicken, if they're mm-hmm. sat on and hatched by a hen and nurtured by a hen, those chickens are healthier than chicks that have been hatched in an incubator. You know, there's wow. something to be said for having those, you know, the nurturing itself. So I wonder if bees could be hatched clinically, um, if they would be different. Well, yeah. there's this experiment that I read about like a couple of years ago where they were using CRISPR technology to insert um, a molecule or a gene or something inside a, a queen bee so that she could make. Um, pesticide-resistant bees. Wow. And for the longest time, they were doing this in a lab, and the bees were looking at the, the, the egg, and they, they were able to discern, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this egg. We're throwing it out. But they were able to sneak in an egg and make this technology happen so that bees can be pesticide-resistant. So yeah, there are bees being grown in a lab to resist pesticides. You know, you can look up the papers on it. it. It's been a while since I've read it, but I wonder if they do that. What you just mentioned, do they yeah. like just not have the workers go in there? Like it's human hands feeding them, <laughs> keeping the temperature in a lab. And what a sad thing that we have to be 
creating, I don't want to say GMO, but these modified bees that are resistant to pesticides and like the amount of energy and money and time that's going into that and the unforeseen consequences of that. Instead of putting all that effort into, why don't we just, (laughs) I know this is a total pipe dream, but like, let's just not (laughs) use pesticides or let's use less of them or find better ways. (laughs) I mean, that's, I, that whole GMO or whatever, whatever you want to call the bees, farmed bees. Um, I mean, that's why I work with ferals because I feel like the feral bees are the resistant bees and the mm-hmm. feral bees are the ones that are going to save the bee population mm-hmm. when there's no, maybe no humans for those domesticated bees. If you can even say they're domesticated um, to rely on. They're the bees of the future bees of the future. <laughs> we have a couple funny stories where I've had to bring my kids because oh my, my schedule and my husband's schedule clash. And so instead of them going to, you know, a software engineering meeting, they get to go on a bee run. <laughs> I love it. So we do what yeah. we can. <laughs> yeah, we've had literal monsters uh, you know, accosting my five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for visiting with me today. It feels so good to be interviewing people for the show again and to get to spend some time with both of you. Uh, it's been such a treat for me. So thank you. Thank you for having us. I, it was It was awesome. You can learn more about Jen and Marvin by heading over to beekeeperconfidential.com where I'll have links to their social media and a photo that they described at the beginning of the episode. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is written and produced by Mandy Shaw. Somebody asked me or emailed me just earlier this week if I could make a beekeeper veil that was a duck head, like like a mascot <laughs> as a duck, but a veil. I said yes, but it would it would be expensive. <laughs> <laughs>